we are quickly winding down. Daniel, I think we've got two, maybe three lessons left after today. And we'll move on to uh, some New Testament. Today we'll be in Daniel chapter 6, looking at verses 10 through 24, but we're going to look at a lot more than that because the background is just as important as the actual lesson for this. You have said something like that similarly every week, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, it's, it's, they, I, I get it. They've got to yeah. pick certain things sure, sure. Uh, to move the curriculum along, but it's like you got to understand this to know that. So you got to do the background and look at it. So we're going to spend some time looking at background. Uh, so this is session four, Daniel's trust exhibited. Uh, believers can trust God in all circumstances. So if you can't guess, we're going to be looking at Daniel in the lion's den. But he doesn't just end up in the lion's den for no reason. And that's what we've got. <laughs> we, we, we've got to look at that. So let's jump in because we've got a lot of ways to cover before we get to the lesson. Okay, if you remember a couple weeks back, I had this uh, up on the board. It is the family tree for Nebuchadnezzar. We can see his father, Nabo Pulser, was the started the rebellion against the Assyrians. Nebuchadnezzar finally uh, you know, did it. And then he had a bunch of children. Now one of the new things is uh, right here. Nabidonis. That's what we're going to be talking about this morning. Nabidonis married Nitrosis, who is Nebuchadnezzar's daughter. Hmm. And he becomes king or emperor, whatever you want to call him, by marriage. Um, and the reason he becomes king is because of his son. This is a guy you should know. Oh. <laughs> Forgot. Now, um, yeah, I should pay attention to my notes. Nabidonis becomes king, but he doesn't want to be king. He's not a son of Nebuchadnezzar. Um, he, I don't know, he married rich, and but didn't want the responsibility. So he goes to the desert. Because he's a worshiper of Sin, S-I-N, who is the moon goddess. His family were Sin worshipers from Saudi Arabia. And so he goes out to the desert to where her big temple is and lives there. And he puts his son, now I should be able to get it, Belshazzar, in charge of the kingdom, which that's a name you should know. Yeah. But see, Belshazzar led a coup over Labash Marduk and gets him assassinated. He probably paid the assassin to do it. It was a setup job because he wanted to be king. Now his father didn't want to be king, runs off to the desert, but he doesn't actually crown him. So Nabi, um, Nabidonis is king, which 
in the ancient world, there was inherent mystical godlike powers because you've been crowned king. Belshazzar is just the administrator. He's in charge. So he's got all the authority and none of the power, if you will. Um, and that's going to bring us to where we're at today when we get to the lesson. Um, with none, without being crowned king, he doesn't begin the godlikeness <coughs> that he needs to oversee religious festivals. So the religious festivals aren't being done in Babylon while Nabidamus is off worshiping in the desert. Politics haven't changed in, you know, whatever, several thousand years. I guess it's probably, what, 3,000 years ago. Um, the religious rulers were in charge of the economy. And in Babylon, they worshipped who? Marduk. They worship Marduk. Marduk is the god of what? Not Marmaduke. Not Marmaduke. <laughs> Nor Marmalade. Marduk was the god of what? Anybody remember? I know. I'm, it's morning and I'm drinking. Wisdom and writing. Sure, that's what it is. Yeah. Marduk is the god of, patron god of wisdom and writing. Whereas Sin is the god of the moon. Um, and so, because Marduk is the god of wisdom and writing, they're very powerful. They write history. They are the keepers of the libraries. All that sort of stuff. Nabidamus is not a worshiper of Marduk. Actually, he was working to remove Marduk from his position of authority in Babylon and raise Sin up to being the, the top god, if you will. Yeah? Was he Arabian? This, um, uh, we're not sure what he is. Uh, he might have been Arabian. He might, there's, there's other possibilities, but he's not Babylonian. Um, so he was trying to change that. Well, needless to say, the Marduk priests were not pleased and uh, they weren't in his court we're going to see that uh, what's going to transpire they're going to they're be against um, his family and Belshazzar is going to pay for it but Belshazzar wants to be in charge, he wants to be king and he's not, so let's jump into this, all this family play uh, you know because really I guess this is his cousin Labash Marduk is Belshazzar's cousin and kills as he bumped off. They like the letter N. <laughs> okay, so here we go. We're going to start with Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. Somebody read that. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, 
the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. All right. See, this, I, how do you skip this? This is important. Belshazzar, now he's old king in name only. He's not been crowned. And this is a <coughs> festival that it has not been celebrated for many years because his father wasn't a worshiper of Marduk and thus wasn't there to oversee it. Well, Belshazzar is tired of that and, and the priests are unhappy. All right, so it's a political move. We're going to celebrate this festival. I'm going to oversee it even though my father's not. And they hold it. Thousands of his lords are there. So this is a big hoodoo. Which makes them happy because, you know, free food and drink. Who wouldn't make be happy about that? But it's not going well. Alright? Belshazzar is not deity. He's not God. The king is always a god. Or at least a relation with God. He wasn't crowned king. He doesn't have the power and authority over this thing. So in order to elevate himself, he orders the vessels of God be brought. Now remember, you got to go way back. Solomon built the temple and filled it with gold vessels, shields, all the utensils to use in um, the, the sacrifices and all that. Nebuchadnezzar took all that stuff when he destroyed Babylon, destroyed Jerusalem. This is the reason one of the places people think the Ark of the Covenant is in modern-day Iraq, Iraq, because he took everything from the temple. Here they're using the stuff from the temple. What did they do with the Ark of the Covenant? That's a big question. Everybody wants to know, where's the Ark of the Covenant? Well... One theory is it's in Iraq because Nebuchadnezzar took everything else. And here we see chapter 5. They're using the stuff from there and all that. There's other <coughs> competing theories that we can sit and talk about if you want. But they're praising the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. How well do you think that's going to go over? <laughs> Not very good. You're noticing a pattern here in the book of Daniel? Yeah, what's the pattern? They're out for themselves. Everything's oh, out for their own pride and their own... The arrogance of, of these guys, right? The, it's all about them. Well, it sounds familiar to what's going on now. Oh, totally, yes. All right, so you got the... This is, this is the scene, if you will. So we've set the stage. Now, we'll go look at Daniel 5, 17 through 23. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the kings and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would be whom he, excuse me, whom he would he killed, and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that the, so
so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast. And his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are, whose are all your ways you have not honored. All right, so we know the story. A hand shows up and writes on the wall. Nobody can translate it. And the queen, Belshazzar's wife, remembers, well, actually, it's probably his mother, his mother not his wife, his mother remembers that there's an advisor in from the king's court that can that is good at this. So she summons Daniel. He reads it and all of that. But what you see is uh, Daniel calls him Nebuchadnezzar's son, right? There's some confusion with that. He's not his son. Belshazzar is not Nebuchadnezzar's son, is he? It's a grandson. Right. I want to point that out because... It's important to understand that genealogies in the Bible are not often linear. We think it's father to son, father to son, father to son, but they're not. Those words mean that you're a descendant of somebody, not father to son. We translate them. And the, the Europeans, the medieval Europeans just translated it that way, and that's how they understood it. But it isn't the case. Those genealogies usually run from somebody that is well-known to somebody that's well-known, and they can skip multiple. Namidanus wasn't important. He was emperor <coughs> of all of Babylon, but he lived out in the desert worshiping a different god, so he gets skipped over. They don't, they don't talk about it. And so he's ignored, and so it just jumps to Belshazzar, who's actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. I point that out because a lot of people try to use genealogies for dating, and it's not, they're not consistent. We don't know. In this case, they skipped one generation. It could easily be five generations that nobody of importance was there, and they jumped from one to the next. Just pointing that out. <coughs> is, is that the same with like the genealogies of, from Adam to Jesus? Is that the same thing? It can very well be, because that's what's recorded. <coughs> that's what Luke and Matthew pull from. The genealogies in Genesis, we don't know that they're complete. Um, we assume they are, and we make speculations about dates and times and all that in them. But the ancients only recorded people that people would know. And they, when they say father to son, that's our English interpretation. It, the words there are descendant of. They're from the house or that family line of whoever that last important person was. They're not, they're not exact. Not like we do in Europe. Europeans 
during the dark ages, I mean, father to son was the most important thing because they believed that the right to rule was given by God, and so you had to have the right blood. If you didn't have the bloodline, you didn't have the right to rule. I mean, that, that's, that's a Western idea, um, and the ancients didn't have that idea. They cho often chose who to rule based on how powerful they were. Uh, Saul, before David, was chosen that way. It wasn't that, well, you know, they've been imbued with some special power by God. Uh, it was usually the power of their arm. Anyway, that's just a side note for this. But here we have Belshazzar. He's in charge, running a ceremony that he's not supposed to be doing. To beef his authority, he brings out the vessels of God in order to show his authority because they would have been taken from the temple. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar brought that stuff back and he put it in the temple of Marduk as an offering to Marduk. And so Belshazzar is trying to establish himself as the rightful ruler. So go into the temple, take these sacrificed vessels to Marduk, and use them himself, elevating himself and saying, hey, look, I, I, I'm Marduk's representative. Forget my father. Yes, he's the crown king, but he's not serving Marduk. Marduk is blessing me. And now all of a sudden, this hand shows up, writes on the wall. Uh, I, don't, I think it had a negative effect. Uh, Marduk did not bless him. So now he summons, David, or summons Daniel. He shows up and he lays this out. And what we see here is Daniel re goes back to his grandfather's slip, if you will, where he was so prideful himself. Oh, yes, look at all that I built. And we looked at that story last week. And he reminds Belshazzar, you know what happened to your grandfather and how God punished him. And now you've taken the God's vessels that were sacred to him and are living it up and worshiping other gods with them, what do you think is happening to you? And we know the rest of the story, right? He gets overthrown that night by the Persians and all that. So that brings us to where we're at in our story. The Persians take over this night. Belshazzar loses everything. He makes a power play and loses. And loses. Any comments or questions? All right, so now we're going to move into where we're at now, because we're going to go to chapter six. From chapter up until chapter five, it's all about Nebuchadnezzar and his family. We end with Belshazzar, his grandson, and chapter six starts with Darius. So here we go. We open basically a new section, and uh, we have a map. This is a map of the Persian Empire, if you will. Um, the Persian Empire is larger than the Babylonian Empire. They just keep getting bigger and bigger until we eventually are going to get to Rome that covers the majority of the world uh, with it. But a few things to point out. There's Babylon right there. See the little dot? That's where Babylon is. This is Tima down in Saudi Arabia. That's where Nobidanus was held up. It was a oasis fortress that where the temple of sin was. You can see it's not it's not close. I mean, this is the Persian Gulf. We know lots about the Persian Gulf nowadays. 
But this is down here in Saudi Arabia. Uh, it was, um, they were mostly nomadic tribes that lived down there. Uh, it isn't the modern thing it is today with lots of cities and, and oil and all of that. And so that's where he's held up at, the father. Uh, let's see, what do we got next? That's Susa. Anybody know why Susa's important? Esther. Esther. The story of Esther, that's where that takes place. So here's Babylon. That's Susa. Susa, if you can read the, the thing, that's part of Persia. This is all that is of Persia in and of itself. The rest of this area is Medes, which is funny because we refer to it as the Persian Empire, the Persian period. Medo-Persian. Well, we, it is. It's the Medo-Persians. They got together to overthrow Babylon. But we, we, we have forgotten about the Medes. We don't really talk about it. We talk about Persia and all the, the different things. And um, The Persians were great administrators. Apparently the Medes were great warriors, but the Persians were great administrators. And so they ruled um, uh, quite well. There's an Ectoban. It's way up here. Anybody know why that's important? Time of Ezra. All the letters that were sent back and forth, that becomes the capital. That's where when Nehemiah and Ezra and all that and all that's going on, where they've got the legal battles and they're sending to the king and all that. He was in residence up here, which that's, if you know your geography, that's like the top of Iran, part of um, Afghanistan. In fact, this is all the Mede, Mede, Persian Medo Empire, all these little circles. Those are the countries currently that are Iran, Turkmenistan, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and then you've got, this is all India. This all down here, this is the Indus River. New Delhi is like right, somewhere right in here. It would have been part of the Persian Empire, believe it or not. All that part of the world that we don't know a whole lot about that, that was, that just seems to cause all sorts of problems for all the rest of the rest of the Western world. Yeah, they were all part of the uh, Persian Empire, and even part of um, where they were ruling from. Daniel chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Um, we'll read that in a second. But we come to this chapter, and Darius has become king. It is unclear if he is king of everything, or if he's just the king over the Babylonian areas. Um, we're not sure. It, it, it's not very clear. They had a lot of administration. You understand our modern day postal system was invented by the Persians. Um, the, the very idea of being able to move mail from one end of the, the empire to the other, the Persians came up with this system of relay horses. So you would move it, you know, it would all come to central and then they would take it and some guy would gallop off that way Camelot's and move it. Rest. 
He works for the government. He honors it. He respects it. He does his job well. He ain't lining his own pockets or any of that. And they're tired of being made fools of. Because how many times has Daniel been called on to answer something that nobody else can answer? Three times. Yeah, at least a, three times. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He wanted to know what the dream was and its interpretation. Everybody's like, nobody can do that. Daniel shows up and does it. Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream. Nobody can interpret it. Daniel shows up and interprets it. And then there's handwriting on the wall. Belshazzar can't read it. Nobody else can. Oh, yeah, there's Daniel. Somebody go get Daniel. Daniel shows up, and what does he do? He answers it. Wisdom, knowledge. Daniel has got it in spades. Because and God God's uses it. Him. Huh? Because God's behind him. God's behind him. So this is where we're at. These guys, these Chaldeans, we looked at it before. They are trying to set Daniel up. They want him gone. And the best time for him to have been gone would have been in the fall of Babylon, but it didn't happen. God is not done with him. God is still using Understand something. Daniel is an old man. He's not young at this point. He's probably 70, maybe even 80 years old at Therefore, this point. I what you're calling old now. <laughs> <laughs> There's no modern medicine. There's no ibuprofen for them knees climbing up, up and down all those stairs and stuff. Yeah. All right, so let's start with this. Daniel chapter 6, verses 10 through 14. Somebody read that. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said to the king, concerning the injunction. O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. And these okay. This is a setup. <laughs> you don't get much better or clearer setup. They want to get rid of Daniel. They can't find any reason to bring to the king. So let's invent a reason. And so they have papers drawn up. Now something you have to understand. In our world, the law is the law. We, we have this understanding. Um, going all the way back to the Magna Carta. But the Magna Carta was not the first instance of where the law is the law, and the king can't change it willy-nilly. The Magna Carta set that up for us in our modern world. But really, it's the Medes and the Persians. They had this idea that once a law was written and sealed by the king, 
It could not be changed. They had this idea that, remember, they worship what God? Marduk. And he's the God of? Wisdom and writing. Wisdom and writing. So that when something was written, that became the domain of the God and therefore cannot be changed. So this whole idea that written laws couldn't be changed, yes, in our modern era, we point to the Magna Carta, but actually the Persians had this idea at first. And so that when this decree was signed or sealed by the king, he couldn't change it. Even the king cannot change the law. The law is the law. And so they wrote it. And we see here, the king, when he heard these words, he's distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. He works on it. The guy's playing lawyer. He's looking for a loophole till the sun went down. I want you to understand that. The king is pro-Daniel. This is the guy that he wants to promote, and he didn't know what was going to happen when he wrote this law. Right. He didn't think far enough ahead. Well, right? yeah, well, he didn't think about poor Daniel. I mean, he know, I'm sure he knows Daniel prays three times a day yeah. and all that. And I'm sure that uh, he, he didn't think about that. He was trying to overlook it as long as nobody complained. Right, and, well, I mean, let's face it. Oh, king, don't you want to be considered powerful? Aren't you glorious? I mean, he just stroked his pride to sucker him into signing this thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm all that and then some. Yeah, there should be a decree that people only ask me. Yeah. Um, where did I turn? Turning too many pages. Uh, all right, so here we go. This is still uh, part two of the book, God's Sovereignty Over the Times of the Gentiles. Really, th this is all about the Gentiles. Daniel just happens to be a conduit of gods to these Gentile kings. And we see that the trap is set. So the trap is to get rid of Daniel. We want him out so that one of us can rule. He's just way too intelligent and doesn't want anything for himself. And he doesn't take power, steal money. He's not embezzling. He's not doing all the things that normal poli good politicians do, right? <laughs> yeah, we can't have that. He's making us all look bad. So, we see what happens here. Daniel knew of the decree. This isn't an accident. It says as soon as he knew it was signed, he went home to pray. Now, I want you to understand, people use this, particularly today, as reason for disobedience to the government. And in this case, this is legitimate dis disobedience to the government because we are only to pray to who? God. God, yes. Daniel says, I can't pray to Darius. I can only pray to God because God says so. This is civil disobedience. Not paying your taxes is not godly disobedience. Uh, storming the um, Congress... Mm -hmm. Is a, what did he do? He's going to disobey the government. <coughs> well, we pray. But he didn't attack the government. He just well, we'll get to that one in a second. Yeah. So Daniel, this is this is what happens. He chooses. He made a choice to disobey. 
he's apprehended red-handed. They show up in his house, they bust in, and they cart him off. He didn't pick up his AK-47 and gun them all down. <laughs> he didn't pick up a spear, a sword. He went with them. See, this is godly disobedience to the government that has taken a position above God. That's where, that's where the, the right is. We seem to have this idea, because we're Americans, and freedom is primo, that we have the right to just disobey the government on anything. They don't have the right to tax me. Hmm. Actually, they do. Even Jesus paid his taxes. Uh, we, we have this, we, we come here and we point to Daniel. See, Daniel disobeyed. Yeah, what did he do? It's not that it, it, it gained him nothing. He was praying to God. Because that's who you pray to. That's where his disobedience was for. And when he's caught red-handed, he goes with them. He doesn't put up a fight. He doesn't launch a rebellion. He doesn't get a mob. He goes with them. Because he knew he did wrong. He doesn't even defend himself. Darius could not save Daniel. See, we do it. We, we want to fight the government and all that, and then we turn to the law, and we, and we fight it some more, and all that. Daniel knew he was done. Darius knew he was done. He accepts his fate. See, we, we want to rebel against the government, but we don't want to accept the punishment. The problem for us as believers is finding the line where it comes... Um, to resisting the law of man in order to follow the law of God. In this case, it's clear. The government was supplanting God with itself. You only worship and pray to me, not any other deity. That's what government says. I'm God, and you're not. And Daniel says, no, I'm going to do that. But he doesn't ratchet it up and lead a rebellion and overthrow it. And the real question here is, was this a trap for Daniel or for Darius? Who's more trapped? He's Darius. Yeah. God's not on his side. He's on Daniel. Well, that's, yeah. But politically, go ahead, Trump. Actually, it was a trap for the satraps. Hmm? Actually, it was a trap for the satraps. <laughs> For the satrap. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> that's true. They don't know it yet. <laughs> um, but that's, you know, in, in this case, Darius has painted himself into a corner. His desire was to promote Daniel. Daniel was somehow was a close confidant, a friend. There was there, There's connection there. And now Darius has got to destroy him. Daniel... I mean, it was a trap for Daniel. They were catching him. But this is really putting Darius in his place. These political maneuvering shenanigans were to say, Darius, you're really not in charge here. We are. We're, we're the top guys. We know, we know we're, we're the politicians. Hmm. I mean, you think about all that goes on in the halls of Congress hmm. and all that. Yeah. Both men were totally disrespected by the establishment, weren't they? Mm 
They did not respect Darius enough to not put him in this position, to accept the fact that he wanted this guy to be in charge. They had no respect for him. We know better. It's all about them, right? This, this is self-serving, isn't it, on their end? This is the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did. Totally self-centered. Standing on his rooftop. Wow, look at the kingdom I built. I did such a great job. And God punished him for it. These guys are doing the same thing. And we, we know what's best for the kingdom. Not this Daniel who's not even, he's not Babylonian. He's not Medan. He's not Persian. He's a Jew. And Darius, well, he's just a come-by-night new guy, right? He just, take, he just conquered and took over. He doesn't know what he's getting himself into. They have noted that you need to promote me and my friends. We know how to run government, right? This is, this is all on them. Total disrespect for Daniel and Darius. Total disrespect for God. These guys would have known what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. They would have been aware of the history. They, would have, they may have even been there the night the handwriting on the wall incident took place. Now, you would think normally people in the back of their mind would fear God, but these guys were so full of themselves... Knowing what God has already done through Daniel, you're setting up Daniel. This is the same arrogance we see with the Pharisees who are trying Jesus. And they know he's raised the dead, healed the sick, cleansed the lepers and all that. And they're there again, need to kill him. We just want him dead. Remove him because we're in charge and we know what's best for the Judean people. And they go to the establishment. Herod, they go to Pilate, you need to kill him. You need to get rid of him. He doesn't know what's going on. And yet, look at the list of accomplishments this guy's got. He knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say. He's forgiving sin. No, no, no. We don't need that kind of guy. You need us. You need us because we're rich, we're powerful, we're pretty, and we know how to manipulate everybody to do whatever we want. Same guys, huh? Yeah. Just a different century. It doesn't change, does it? Yeah. We've got that going on in the halls of Congress right now. Don't look to anything else. We know what's best for you. We know which drugs you should take. <laughs> we, we know which kinds of things you should wear. Or what, yeah, right? Same, same thing, huh? It doesn't change. All right. Any comments or questions before we yeah, You just said it. Uh, read the dead horse, I know. Read the choir. All right, so let, let's move along. Daniel chapter 6, 15 through 18. Somebody read that. Then these, may, these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. I love this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what does this remind you of? Oh, when um, uh, it left 
Okay, sure. That's not what I was thinking, but yeah, it does. Yeah. It's Easter time. What does this remind you of? Garden. Okay, the garden. Crucifixion. The crucifixion. His burial. Yeah. They went to Pilate and said, you know what? Everybody says he's going to rise again. I want you to place a guard and seal the tomb. And they took the signet ring of Pilate and they sealed the tomb and everything. There's the same thing. Well, actually, this happened first. Yeah. Right. Uh, this, is why I'm, uh, this is why I'm linking these. The arrogance does not... The, mankind has just got this kind of arrogance. Look at it. They sealed it with the king's ring and with the signet of his lords. All those guys, all those high-ranking... They came up, you know what, we're going to seal it, dude. We don't trust you, king. They're still ribbing him. They're still disrespecting him. The king's signet isn't good enough. We're going to seal it, too. We want to make sure... Daniel doesn't get out of here. Mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it just annoys me because they're so arrogant. Well, we got but, that on tape. Right? <laughs> yeah, you got that on tape. <laughs> well, Chris can jump up and down. <laughs> <laughs> then we see what the king's response. And that's what I, the king's response, I think, says it all. Now, he's a me. They are very superstitious. They believe in mystical things. That's going to be a hallmark of their empire until Alexander the Great comes. They have mystical warriors. They believe in the, the whole spiritual world and that the king can channel it and all sorts of stuff. The king, I don't believe, is a, is a believer, but he knows that Daniel's God does stuff. And in his, from his mystical worldview of the Medes, that makes him powerful. And so the king goes to his palace and he spends the night fasting and praying because he knows it works, because Daniel has proof that it works. So he would do it. It's kind of a spell. A lot of people want to say, oh yeah, he was, he was a believer. I, I don't necessarily believe that he was a believer. He believed in Daniel's God, had power, and they were missing. If you know anything about India, they'll worship any God they think actually is a God. Um, it, it, you go, you show up there and want to tell them about a new god. They'll listen, and they'll 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 accept it, along with all their other gods. And I think that's where that's where Darius is. He spends the night fasting. He doesn't even have wine and girls brought in. I mean, that's you know, you're, you're the king. That's just expected, right? No diversions are brought to him. And sleep, he couldn't even sleep. He's that concerned over Daniel. That's a pretty close relationship, isn't it? Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're tight. Comment, question? No? All right. Let's jump in and look at this. So the door is shut. And the way is fast, right? Some Lord of the Ring fans? Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, we see Daniel. He goes to the lion's den, and he goes... Fighting, kicking, screaming, blaspheming them, cursing them, no. right? He, no. he kills at least a dozen on his way in, <laughs> right? No, no, he goes willingly. See, this is this is the part of the story <coughs> where us believers don't don't. We want to defy the government. Yeah, raise the hand to the man. Uh, but Daniel totally takes his punishment. All right, we're going to the lions den. Let's go. It's also reminiscent of Jesus. It is. Again, this is his own trial. Did Jesus defend himself? No. 
They told him to. Come on, say something. Mm-hmm. Even when they nailed him to the cross. Yeah, call down, pull yourself down. And, and all, you know, call on those legions of angels. Well, you know, all this. We don't see anything. Daniel doesn't either. Daniel goes with it. With it. This is, he broke the law. It's not a fair law. It's not a just law. It's just the law. And he goes with it. Darius expresses his desire for God to save him. He wants God to save Daniel because he can't. This is how perplexed he is. He wants his friend not to suffer. And he believes that it's possible. We'll see that in a second. The entrance is sealed and Darius goes off and he fasts. We don't know why there are no words written of Daniel's defense, but there are none recorded in the imperial archives or here in scripture. We do know what Darius's actions mean, that he has some level of belief in God based on all the things that have already happened with Daniel and his three friends. I'm sure the stories are told and well known throughout the kingdom. He believes just that much. Just that much. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily worship God, but he, he believes that much. A mustard seed. A mustard seed, yeah. So let's end the story. Daniel 19, or Daniel 6, 19 through 24. There you go. Anybody? At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. <coughs> When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you could serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, O king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Yeah. Here we go. The tables are turned. <laughs> These guys thought they were important. They thought they were powerful. They thought they knew the way the government should be going, right? Problem is, see, we don't want to wait for God to do his part. Daniel had to wait all night in the lion's den with the hungry lions sitting right there. We don't want to wait there, do we? Nope. We want to jump to the end of the story where the guys get it, right? Nope. You can't get there without sitting in the lion's den. We, we, we live in an instantaneous community. I want coffee. Hot water, put it in, stir. We don't even want to wait for the water. You know, we don't even wait for the water to boil. We throw it in the microwave. <laughs> 60 seconds, boom, hot water. Pack it up, instant coffee, stir it up. Hey, I got coffee. There's nothing like that nice, Ooh. slow, brewed, over in good coffee grounds. Yeah, no. <laughs> I want food. 
okay, you gotta get the flour, gotta make it up, add the yeast, wait, go for, go wait six hours for it to <laughs> rise. No, we, we, we open the freezer, whip it out, toss it in the microwave, three minutes, ding, and even that's too slow. Come on, hurry up, we're yelling at it. <laughs> Have you seen that commercial with Tom Brady and the toaster, and he's yelling at the toaster to hurry up? It's like, it only takes like a, a minute and a half to toast bread. You had to go and ruin my day by talking about Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that commercial is so annoying. He's well, like, so is Tom Brady. Like, exactly, that's fine. But wait a minute, we don't even want to wait for bread to be toasted. We live in a quick, you, you get behind somebody who's driving the speed limit, come on, hurry up. I gotta be doing at least five miles over the speed limit or it ain't fast enough. I'm, I'm never impatient. Yeah, no. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Come on, Grandma, move already! Some teenage kid who's just learning to drive. Yeah. No, we, we, we don't want, we're impatient. We want to just jump to the end, but you know what? Daniel had to sit in the lion's den all night and it's sealed. He doesn't even know what time of day it is. Maybe he can hear the crickets. <laughs> but I, he doesn't know, he's just going to sit there and wait. He can't get out on his own. He's got to wait for the king to come and unseal it and get somebody to throw a rope down and pull him out. I mean, he's an old guy. He's, in, you know, he's not moving that stone by himself. We don't like the impatience of waiting, the difficulties. Because let's face it, sitting in, the, sitting in a, a cave with hungry lions, that's not easy. No, not, not much fun. No, oh, wait, what was that? Is he coming? Okay. You just you stay right there. I'm gonna sit on my rock. You sit on yours. We'll be okay all night. Let's see, is it time yet? No, oh, wait. My sundial doesn't work down here. Okay, still waiting. Come on, God, hurry up. I'm waiting, God. And you're waiting, and you're waiting, and that's that's really where we're at right now, isn't it? We've got a government that's doing the, all the nonsense that Daniel saw. And we're, we're suffering the consequences of it. We're, we're not in favor. We're, I don't know that we're in lion's dens, but it ain't easy. And it ain't going to get any easier. But we don't like that. But we know the end. We've already been told the end. Daniel knew how this was going to play out. Either he was going to be eaten and he's going to go to God and it'll all be good. Or he wasn't going to get eaten and he's going to be saved and it'll all be good. Daniel is unharmed. God doesn't choose to take him. But he still had to sit with the lions all night. <laughs> Anxiousness. Yes. Daniel gives God the credit. I love that. It wasn't about him. It was about God. Daniel is just sitting there. He's along for the ride. God shut the lion's mouth. Yeah. Well, but notice, it's not me and God. I'm not the driver. I had nothing, Daniel had nothing to do with it. He just sat there the whole, we want, we want to be like, yeah, see, it's me and God, and God's my co-pilot. And all that. No, all the credit goes to God. It's not because I don't taste good. Right? I'm pretty tasty. And, they were, and the lions were hungry. Oh, yeah, the yeah. lions are kept hungry. There, there's no doubt about it. Darius has the men, their wives, and their children all thrown. Do, do you understand how... Yeah, he, he was all done with these guys. They were bad news. The, the, this was punishment all the way down. Because the, the, we don't know how many of the 120 sack traps were in on it. But if it was 100, if it was all of them, 
So you got the two high officials, because Daniel was the third, and whoever they brought with them, and whatever satraps, that's a lot of people. I mean, they didn't have little families back then. They wasn't two and a half kids. <laughs> no, Darius went and had them all rounded up, too. Because they were satraps. They're scattered throughout the kingdom. So overnight, I'm sure soldiers were sent to go round up all these guys and their families and anybody that was involved in this plot. And he has them all chucked in there. And it says that before they reached the bottom. Yeah. See, you, you, you know when God is bringing punishment, right? It, it, it's done. There's so much in these stories. I'd be so mad at my husband if I were one of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> Joey, you're all done. What did you do? <laughs> Give me my life you're you dead. Especially for their kids, you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and it says their, their children. That would include any grandchildren. I mean, we're talking all the line, whatever's left. Total. Totally. But we have these stories. And they are stories. And they are history. True stories. Yeah, they're true stories. They're, they're examples to us. Not of, you know, it, it's not about, everybody wants to make it about the disobedience to the government. That's, what we need to see is the arrogance of these people. Whether it was Nebuchadnezzar, his arrogance was so complete, God was fed up with him, turns him into a beast. The arrogance of Belshazzar to use God's sacred items for his own glory. We're not guilty of that, right? We don't take the Bible and use it to our own advantage. Because that's his. It's his sacred word, isn't it? And yet we take scripture and we twist it. Olstein, for example. And there's so many. And there's little guys that we don't even know of in little country hip churches that use it as an abuse of power over other people. We come to these satraps and governmental officials. They're not the guy, I mean, they're in charge, but they're not the king. But we see the same arrogance. It isn't just people in power. It isn't just people with all the authority. It's a little guy, too, who's got little, you, you run into him, those little township government official guys who think they're like emperor of the universe. All you want is a permit sign so you can put it back in. No. Why? Because I said so. Yeah, you get these guys. Or maybe they're a little passive aggressive about it. Well, what makes you think you can put a deck on your house? I don't have a deck on my house. You don't need one. No. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you are and what level. We can have this attitude. And we see it over and 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 over again in Scripture. Moses, his brother and sister, they ended up with leprosy because they thought, well, we should be in charge. We're just as important as you, Moses, right? God showed up. Covers them in leprosy. Right? The Pharisees, we love to pick on them, but they're the same way. We see it over and over and over again. The arrogance of man. So here's a couple of things to think about. First, we must worship God even when others limit it. <coughs> not because we want to stick it to the man. That's not the right reason to worship God. 
I mean, worship God in terms of Romans chapter 12. That our entirety, our bodies, our lives, our livelihood, our money, our time should all be dedicated to God's use. Romans, Paul writes this out explicitly in chapter 12. We are talking about worshiping God, not because it defies the government or defies our boss or whatever it is. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna play Christian radio at work. That'll annoy them. Then they'll all hear it, right? That's not worshiping God. Daniel went home to his house in the quiet of his place, knelt down and prayed. He didn't go stand in the public square bellowing it for everybody to hear, did he? And that way he did it every day. It wasn't just, well, now the government says I can't do it, I'm going to do it. This was his practice his whole life. That's what we need to do. That's worshiping God. In the, when it's good, when it's bad, all the time. Then we're worshiping God. And that's what we need to be doing. Secondly, turn to God in prayer when faced with persecution. Daniel was being persecuted. He went to his knees. He didn't reach for his AK-47. We're going to be persecuted. I know Chris talks about it all the time. It's coming. We're not in favor. Christianity is not in vogue right now in our country. We're what they're trying to get rid of. We're being persecuted. Our way of life is being told it's illegal. Or at least in their eyes, immoral. We need to be praying about it. Not marching in the square protesting our rights. We need to go to God. Because he's the one who changes kings. He sets them up and he punishes them when they don't do what he wants them to do. We see this. I mean, that's what Daniel teaches, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he's punished for not following what God wanted, for being so prideful. Belshazzar, the satraps, He'll deal with them. What we need to be doing is we need to be praying. We need to be in our prayer closets in our houses praying for these government officials. Amen. We need to turn to God and leave it with him. Not that we go in there and we pray and then take up arms. We need to pray and leave it with God and he'll work it out when he's ready. And it may mean that we get drug off to the lion's den. And if he wants to, he'll save us in the lion's den or the fiery furnace, or whatever it may be. Or we may end up like some of those guys that, that Chris likes to talk about from the gulags of Russia, and we spend our lives there. I don't know. God vindicates us for his honor. I think that's what we struggle with. We don't believe it. We do not believe God will vindicate us, and so we must vindicate ourselves. But he will. But he will do it for his honor. When it brings him glory, he will vindicate us. If it isn't here, it will be in heaven. When all knees are bowed before him, we will. We want it to be here. We want him to embarrass these guys, these, whether it's presidents or congressmen or judges or whoever it is. We want him to embarrass them, and we want to be vindicated. But that may not be his purpose. These are the things to think about this week. Let's pray. Lord, it's getting tough living in this world. 
And Father, we, we, we have to submit to you. And that's a hard thing to do. We know what we want to happen, but Lord, that may not be what you want to happen. Father, give us the grace to accept the way you're running your world because it's your world, not ours. It may not go the way we want it to go, but we know that it can go your way. Give us the grace to accept it. Help us to pray for it. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.